There have been many times that God has poured out his spirit uh, among the nations. And yet, sometimes in those seasons that we're calling revival tides, uh, not everybody experiences revival. Uh, in other words, sometimes whole broad areas are untouched by that revival, which brings you to the question, why are some areas uh, seized by the power of God and other areas not so? And uh, a good example of that was the Great Awakening in America. So uh, let's just look at this and see if we can get some lessons about why does revival happen and why does revival not happen? So here in 1735, God just began to do a work. It's reflected in Jonathan Edwards' book, A Faithful Narrative of a Surprising, the Surprising Work of God. So Jonathan Edwards is telling us this is not a wonderful new church program. Uh, this is not some great preachers who were just so gifted in preaching that they attracted a whole lot of people to their churches. No, this is a work of God. This is God opening the heavens and coming down, pouring out the Spirit in a whole broad section of America, the American colonies, and city after city, uh, colony after colony, uh, just becoming infused with the presence of God in a way that you couldn't explain. You couldn't really explain it except that God had decided to pour out his spirit in this new country that was forming. And yet, when you look at what areas were affected by this? It was all throughout the north. And it just like when it came to right around Maryland and Virginia, uh, it was like a brick wall. Nothing could go south uh, from, from there. So it was a northern awakening and it was not a southern awakening. So what was the difference between these two areas? where God poured out his spirit in half of America. Uh, you could say it was only half of a great awakening, really, when you look at it. So how do you explain this? Well, it goes back to Scotland um, 150 years before. So you have to see it in the context of spiritual history or the, the uh, uh, spread of the kingdom of God. Uh, by God's power. And so this really started in Scotland. And we, we know it as the Scottish Reformation, but it was really the first revival tides that happened. And God was really meeting the Scottish people in a way that they recognized, this is God, this is Jesus, who has chosen us for some kind of purpose. And we are being um, held accountable shall we say, held accountable and answerable to him. So the majesty and the power and the, uh, the dignity of Jesus was manifesting in Scotland. 
and uh, it was it it was repeating. It was like perennial. It was tides go out, but they come back in, and they go out and they come back in, and so that's the way it was in Scotland. And those leaders, those uh, leaders of the Scottish Kirk became aware of Jesus, the King of Kings. And if he's the King of Kings, then he is truly the King of their King, the, the King of Scotland. So one of the things that began to happen was uh, the, the leaders of the church began to criticize uh, the King of Scotland, whose name was James the Sixth at that particular time. And uh, they said, you know, the King of Kings has manifested himself to us and, and this is the, what he teaches and you need to, to uh, obey what he teaches because he is the King of Kings. Not just our King, your King. And so uh, the King of Scotland, James the Sixth, did not like to be lectured to. He did not like to be under anybody else's authority besides his own. And so um, he began to really and truly persecute the, the leaders of the Scottish Kirk. At that very same time, he also gained the throne of England and Ireland and authority over the colonies. Okay, so this is James the sixth of Scotland becoming James the first of England. Same guy. But uh, this man did not like to be under the authority of anyone except himself. And so he persecuted uh, all those who were experiencing revival. He claimed to be a Protestant. So labels are not really very helpful here. What you look is at the, the, the attitudes and the deeds. And he was against uh, what we have learned to call revival. Uh, to the people of Scotland, it was just normal Christianity, true Christianity emerging. And uh, they were learning how to meet with Jesus, and Jesus was manifesting his presence and his power in their midst, and they were hooked. And it was so, each one of these revival tides became bigger and deeper than the last. And so finally in 1638, um, the Scots actually made a national covenant with Jesus. And from that point on, they became known as covenanters. Uh, because Jesus had become real to him, to them. And so here was a covenant that expressed that uh, of the whole nation of Scots. Well, uh, this is not going well in England because uh, the English church has decided that nobody should... Uh, criticized the king, and so the king and the Anglicans get along real well with each other. And so the, the, the doctrine of the divine right of kings uh, gets thoroughly ensconced in the Anglican church, and uh, the son and the grandson of James, whose names are both Charles, uh, they, uh, they perfect the art of persecuting 
Scottish Christians. Now, there's another group of people in England who look at this and are appalled. Um, they actually look at what God is doing in Scotland and say, this is, this is real Christianity here, and we can't believe that our English church doesn't appreciate this. So they wrote their opinions in uh, broadsides and books, and and uh, they uh, pretty soon outlived their welcome in England. These people were known as separatists. There was a whole separatist movement in England uh, in the early part of the 17th century, and uh, these people were uh, persecuted just as much as the Scots were, almost as much. So some of them uh, moved away to Holland, and they found that they weren't any more welcome in Holland. So they finally, um, many of them came to America, in the northern part of America, and became known as pilgrims. So uh, what you have is a lot of people, you know, we, we, we celebrate this to this day in, in America, faith of our fathers living still in spite of dungeon, fire, and sword. So these people mostly moved to the north in America, in the northern colonies. The people that moved to the south were the persecutors, and this is part of our history that we have hardly at all recognized, that the other group, I'm calling them power and might Christians. These are people who believed that the king could do no wrong, and they were going to treat all of these revival people from the north as uh, guilty of not only heresy, but sedition. Uh, if you're criticizing the king, you're not recognizing that the king can do no wrong. He's God's person in England uh, to govern everything in England. And so uh, these people who believed God saved the king, and basically that was the extent of their Christianity, and they moved to the south. And so you have in the north people who come with a memory of revival and a, a, a different understanding of even what Christianity is than the ones who come to the South who have hardened into um, what I would call a religious spirit. You just, you just come to church on Sunday morning and you do whatever the king says. That's the king of England. And, and that's what Christianity is. And these people did not want revival. They believed that it was uh, fanatical and seditious. Um, and they persecuted people who were guilty of being revived. And so the question is, what's the difference between these two groups of Christians? You've got the by my spirit, Christians on the one hand who are meeting with Jesus and experiencing the fullness of the Spirit, and then you've got the other group who think that that is just wrong and who are in control of everything through the king and his hierarchy. So which are 
we today? Are we by my spirit Christians or are we power and might Christians? And that is an issue that I deal with in my two books, uh, Glory Through Time, Volume 1 and 2. And Volume 2 is about to come out. It's a little going to be a little bit later than I thought because uh, the, the publisher is delaying it more than my Volume 1 was delayed. I think it's because they're um, publishing more books now. <laughs> and I, so my book is in a queue. It's in a long line of other books that they're publishing. And it's going to come out more like March, I think, maybe March or April. Um, my part will be done, but they're just telling me when I can expect it. So um, the main thing in this book is, what is Christianity? Is it something that Jesus does by his power? Or is it something that we control and we govern by our power? You see, I believe in the by my spirit part of Christianity. And yet every age has the other kind of Christians. And we all of us have to ask, which am I?